So there's three stool, three legs to the stool of the, of capital preservation. First of all, cash flow. Cash flow is king, right? While the property is cash flowing or the business is cash flowing, you don't really care what happens to the value of it as long as you're holding it because it's it's producing income for you. The value of the property only matters when you're going to sell or refinance it. Well, if you have the right debt in place, meaning you have long-term debt to longer than what your business plan is, that allows you to come in and don't put yourself in a position where you are forced to sell or refi, right? If you have a three-year loan and you have a three-year business plan, everything needs to go perfectly and right. You need to execute perfectly. Nothing nothing can go wrong because on year three, you might find yourself in a scenario where, well, maybe you didn't add enough value. You can't really refi because uh, whatever the environment at that point doesn't make sense. You know, people are not lending and the property has maybe lost some value even. then you're done you're doomed you, you lost money welcome everyone to the cassandra properties podcast we're joined today by stony stonebreaker and lennon lee they are the owners of Pasivo real estate investments they're based out of miami uh, these are two entrepreneurs in every sense of the word that have pretty remarkable stories uh, guys, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having us, man. Glad to be here. Well, it's, it's our absolute pleasure. Uh, you guys are going are gonna to talk about your journeys. You're going to talk about this investment vehicle that you're using. You know, before we went live, I asked the guys in, in you know, one or two sentences to describe what Pasivo Real Estate Investments means to them. And the response was, it's a vehicle to achieve financial freedom for their families, which I think is is amazing. It's a, a genuine mission. It's something that I'm working very hard personally to try and achieve. And I know a lot of the folks out there in the audience are, are working hard to try and achieve financial freedom, especially with the backdrop of coronavirus. Things are changing in the real estate world and they're changing pretty quickly. So um, the, the audience likes to get a flavor of, of who we have on and, and just a little bit of background. So I don't know, Stoney, if you want to go first or Lennon, can you just talk to us a little bit about your, your life before real estate and, and how you ended up where you are today? Sure, sure. I'll uh, go ahead and, and get that started since I, I started life before my partner here did. And I think you <laughs> did too. Um, yeah, I was... Uh, I. I got my electrical engineering degree undergraduate at Georgia Tech, and while there, I had a couple of fortunate experiences. I built an electric car, which we drove from Boston to St. Louis, and then I also was able to uh, work on the Saturn V for, on the Apollo program, and that was a great experience as well. But I get, in my career, I got into uh, a W-2 job in the telecommunications field, so I ran telecommunications departments for uh, some airlines and then uh, for uh, electric utility and also was able to help uh, in some diversification efforts that they had to write some business plans and to help establish some uh, companies in in fiber optic transmission and uh, and so forth and then i was always entrepreneur entrepreneurial in nature and was able to uh, kind of scratch that itch with some other um, companies that I started and ran uh, on, on the side, uh, but also I found early in my career a book about real estate investing and the advantages of income producing uh, real estate, uh, a book by William Nickerson. Some people might have read that, uh, how I turned $1,000 into $3 million in real estate in my spare time. And that was kind of one of the rich dad before rich dad uh, books. Yep. Yep. And uh, it, all the advantages look great. So I did in some investing during my career, although I would spent most of my time uh, on my job and just didn't um, 
uh, invest in a whole lot of real estate, but vacation condos, some land, single family properties uh, in uh, North Carolina and Florida primarily. Uh, then I retired in uh, 2002 uh, to spend some time summers with my, my son and uh, did that and also got into some other activities uh, helping to uh, some startup companies and early stage companies by uh, consulting with them. And then uh, I kind of re-found re, um, my, my love for real estate or my interest in income producing real estate. About five or six years ago, started looking into that, inter interviewing friends and so forth, and talking to uh, people about it, looking at, at uh, reading books and watching podcasts or watching uh, uh, videos and YouTubes and, and podcasts and so forth. And, and then uh, through that, I met uh, uh, Lennon and uh, we have invested together and I'll let him talk about some of that journey from there on, but that's kind of what got me to here. So, you know, uh, you were never really a nine to fiver. I mean, you, you've been involved, it seems like in entrepreneurial spirit ventures from, from Jump Street. I mean, uh, I think it's fascinating. You worked on, I believe the instrument unit for the Saturn rocket, is that correct? That's right. That was the, the brains of the Saturn V. So how, I mean, I have to ask, like, you know, how, how does that even come, come to come about and how, how into this were you? Like, that's wildly, like, that's awesome. That's cool stuff, right? It was. Yeah. I, I didn't realize at the time how cool that was, really was, I guess. Um, I, I was uh, going to school at uh, Georgia Tech and uh, they have a co-op program, which uh, offers the uh, capability to work for companies. It's more than just internships. It's real work. They, they want, uh, they offer the, some students their opportunity to work for different uh, organizations and entities. And uh, I had just happened to be um, uh, available for, I wanted, I wanted to get into co-oping and I, and working for somebody. They offered me one job, but that was a government agency that uh, couldn't, um, uh, couldn't, uh, uh, follow up and they lost the uh, position. And so uh, I kind of fell into this opportunity where IBM had the contract with NASA to build this ring that's three feet high and about 21 feet in diameter. It has all of the instrumentation, the, com the computers, such as they were, um, and the uh, communications, the air ground communications on the Saturn V uh, rockets uh, for the Apollo missions. And so I went over there, I tested equipment that went on the instrument units that went on uh, some of the, uh, the uh, missions from Apollo 7 through uh, 13, and uh, also uh, wrote some software programs and did some testing of, of and verification of flights and uh, flight uh, software uh, vehicle um, launch angles and uh, the, the actual um, first Apollo 8 uh, lunar mission. So it was a lot of different things going on there with that. And it was just a very young crowd working on the Saturn V at the time. Well, uh, that, that's wild and amazing. And, and it's, it's, you know, everyone has kind of their moment, it, it seems, when they start to make the shift into, into real estate. And, and today, I, I say this all the time on the show, we have so many resources available today at our fingertips. You know, just jumping on the podcast and, and YouTube, mm -hmm. Uh, the internet, there is so much information that's available out there and folks like yourselves willing to share, uh, you know, some of the secret sauce and, and, and try and help those of us who haven't made the leap to make the leap. So I think that, that's fascinating. And Lennon, you know, you've got quite a story here as well. 
you know, why don't you just give us a little background? Sure. Um, well, it's been uh, 11, a little bit over 11 years since I moved to the U.S. I'm originally from Venezuela. Um, I'm uh, also an engineer. I graduated um, in Venezuela uh, for telecommunications engineering. I uh, never really worked on telecommunications or anything like Stony, but uh, then uh, moved, to the, moved to Miami uh, when I did my master's in engineering management and started working for a uh, label sprinting company down here for a couple of years doing supply chain and logistics for them. Um, never really liked it. Um, my boss hated me. I hated my boss. <laughs> that never, I didn't really pan out but um all that time basically actually before i moved in 2009 we um when i say we that's my family and i we bought a portfolio of properties here um in miami we had a piece of land we have some single families condos as well and um i was basically managing the portfolio for the family uh while i was working that that was yeah roughly 2015 ish late 2015 i started um seeing that the portfolio was not really performing that well anymore. And we had a lot of equity sitting there. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, it, it just made sense to look for something else. We, we knew we wanted to be in real estate and stay in real estate. Uh, my family has been in, in real estate for, for a while. They, actually, we built um, a few townhouses down there in, in, in Venezuela. And uh, we've always been in, in real estate. Um, one way or the other but um so yeah we we, we wanted to stay in, in the real estate space but we wanted to look for something obviously a little bit more profitable but more importantly we were looking for um that uh, time freedom of especially for my mom and dad uh they had all this you know they had this money sitting there uh, and they didn't really want to be active on the management or anything which i was doing but um, we we all thought well how can we uh, find something that is going to perform better than what it is right now, but actually be uh, allow us to be passive. And then also we wanted to diversify because um, we, you know, we, we, we thought that was, well, that was smart at, at, at the moment and it still is obviously. Um, so basically that with, with that in mind, I started, uh, I got my real estate license uh, and I started selling um, some of the properties in the portfolio. I found out about commercial real estate. I, to me, it caught my attention how uh, how different it was from residential real estate, just in the in the basic sense of um, how it's valued. Yep. That made a lot of sense to me because, well, it, it seemed like now you could have some control over the value of your property if you went in and you implemented some sort of business plan or whatever strategy you wanted to implement. Uh, so that made a lot of sense to me. Um, we then found within commercial real estate, uh, multifamily properties, um, there's a... a well, different reasons why why that made sense to us, but really uh, at the moment it was more about well we understood it better, right? We didn't really know how um, industrial or retail properties operated and worked versus an apartment complex. It's pretty straightforward, right? We actually lived in one. Uh, I still do. So um, with that, we 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 found uh, that we wanted to be in that asset class, and then how can we be as passive as possible, like truly passive. Well, we found out about uh, real estate syndications. We started where well, I actually started traveling and, and studying and meeting and building relationships in the space until I found an operator or a sponsor that, um, you know, that we trusted and that we liked. And we started investing with them. 
immediately I, I said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be doing the realtor job. I don't like the, I don't enjoy the conversation um, myself. So I want to do what these guys are doing, the people that I'm investing with. So that, 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 that started the journey of building a company where I started raising capital and working uh, with them on the, on the general partnership and um, putting together these private offerings and uh, talking to investors and basically educating people like my family that didn't know or understood that they could be part owners or um, partners in a multi-million dollar deal without being a multi-millionaire or anything like that. Right. So, so, so yeah, and then I, I, I found Stony in one in an event. Uh, we invested together in one deal, then and then a second deal, third deal. We did a few a few deals together, and then we started Pasivo uh, Real Estate Investments uh, about a year ago to basically formalize our partnership. So. Uh, pretty remarkable, right? Fast forward 11 or 12 years after you, you've come to this country and now you're sitting on a company uh, that includes between LP and GP investments, from what I understand, uh, more than 2,000 units in a portfolio that's pushing 200 million. Yes. That, that's absolutely remarkable. So you said you, you guys met at an event. Uh, what, what type of an event was it? It was a CCIM luncheon down here in Coral Gables, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So yep. you guys meet, you connect, you kind of hit it off and you start investing together and, and here you are. Yes. Yes. I was, I was raising capital at that point for, for, for a deal that, uh, so it was going to be the first deal that I was raising capital for, uh, in partnership with this other group that I had invested with, um, that I started investing with before. And, um, yeah, so he was there. He was already interested in, in commercial real estate. He liked the multifamily space. And we, yeah, we hit it off and we invested together in that deal. And, um, and yeah, then we did a, we raised capital together for some other deals. And then we did um, another deal in Jacksonville, 138 units with another partner. And um, we recently closed under Pasivo. We just closed on our first deal, 262 unit apartment complex in Houston. Absolutely remarkable, guys. So I've, I've got a million questions. So I'm just going to start firing them out and, and you guys can answer where I guess wherever it, it, it hits home uh, more. So yes. raising capital for syndications, you're sourcing the deal first, or are you cultivating investors on the prospect of a deal to come? Right. So Pasivo, at Pasivo, we have a, a unique approach to uh, a little bit different than your, your regular real estate investment or syndication company, where on one hand you have sourcing deals, talking to brokers, and obviously you know analyzing the deals, making sure that you identify an opportunity. And then on the other hand, you raise all the capital for that, for that deal. And then maybe you are uh, investing in different markets, right? Uh, for us, our model, uh, we look at, like I always say to everyone, we are passive investors or limited partners first before anything else. And that's how we look at everything that we do. And that's how we're trying to build our company around the understanding that we are passive investors and that's what we want to be again, above everything else. So one of the biggest risk, uh, risks in commercial real estate, specifically in the type of deals that we do, uh, at least a controllable risk is the execution of a business plan. How well can you execute? What's the business plan? Uh, and what's, who's the team behind it? What's the track record? And, and so the team, it's very, very important. So we thought, well, we know we can diversify across different markets, even asset classes, but the most important thing to do 
as a passive investor is to build relationships and spend a lot of time uh, and effort building relationship with different teams, meaning different sponsors or syndicators. Um, and we're going to be using those terms inter interchangeably um, as we go. Um, so what we did with Facebo is, well, if we want to build a network of different sponsors that we want to invest with as, as limited partners ourselves, that has to have value to other investors like us and families like us that don't necessarily have uh, the interest, the time um, like that we have to spend or uh, the, the, all the effort, uh, maybe because they have another business, maybe because they're already retired, they don't, they're not interested in actually or actively uh, continuing to exchange their, their time for money. They just, they just want to invest. So for those people, we've built, we built Pasivo that is a, a company where we, on one hand, yes, we're raising capital uh, from accredited and some non-accredited investors. And then on the other hand, our deal sourcing, it's not directly from us. What we're doing is we're partnering up with other operating partners or other sponsors in the markets that we want to be in. So they uh, sort the deals, they identify the opportunities, they put it in front of us and say, hey guys, we have this deal under contract or under LOI, we've been awarded the deal, whatever, and um, do you guys want to join forces on this? We look at the deal, we do our own third party uh, with our team underwriting and we analyze the, the, the opportunity. If it's something that we would invest in as limited partners and as passive investors, then we would say to them, okay, cool, we, we like the deal let's join forces and at that point we become one with them and it's one big sponsor team but that allows us to diversify and then uh on the day-to-day -day operations when we close on the deal we allow them to run point on the actual day-to-day -day operations because well that's that's the reason why we partner up with them they're local experts right so that allows us to um tackle more deals better quality and more quantity eventually okay so you're investing alongside the GPs or operators. They're sourcing it. They're doing their own internal underwriting. They've got uh, a vision for the property. They come to you guys. You, you run it through your process. You measure up and make sure that the returns are going to work for your investors. Now, uh, how, how, does the, uh, how does the partnership get, get split? Who's the controlling partner? Uh, is, it a, is it a true 50-50 setting up a new parent LLC and and you know who's calling the shots, right? At the end of the day, markets change, things. There's diversification. Decisions need to be made. Who's actually running the day to day? Right. Uh, well, it depends on the deal, right? We have deals where we are running uh, the day to day operations. We're doing the asset management. We found the opportunity, and we brought other um, uh, groups like ours to join forces with us. Maybe they brought their investors, and we are calling the shots uh, and running point on the on the day to day. Uh, some other deals, uh, it's the other way around. We are basically supporting the operations. We, we definitely 100% are um, general partners on these deals. Uh, that's something that's very important um, to us because it allows us to be on the... So we have a seat on the table. We are involved in the, in the asset management somehow. We're providing our own expertise and our own set of value to uh, depending on, on the deal, right? Some, some sponsors that we partner up with have um, maybe they, they, they find value in us trying to uh, drive more traffic to the property, right? We know a little bit, um, we have some, for example, we're, we have some practices in one of our properties that have driven a lot of traffic to, to, 
to the to that property and we implement that or can implement that on other deals so it's on a deal per deal basis uh ultimately it's like i mentioned at the beginning it's just it's one big general partner team that everyone has their own responsibilities obviously we're, we're running um uh, all the investor relations and investor communications with our investor base of course and um they are doing whatever they do best um but it it, it changes from deal to deal uh, typically how much capital are you requiring uh let's say you're you're working with an operator where they found the deal they brought the 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 business plan they brought the real estate the transaction they tied the deal up how much capital if any are you requiring from that partner in these transactions um well actually what we what we like to do is to be all 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 the general partners to be invested in the deal as limited partners as well okay right? so and this is something our investor that's very important for our investors as well like how, how much skin in the game do you guys have yep. so obviously these are uh, large deals so it's gonna and, and and they vary depending on the on, on the deal size but um it could be from one to five percent of the equity comes from the sponsors uh, and meaning uh, our team and our partners okay so you're then going out and you're securing traditional leverage. You're going out and seeking non-recourse or recourse debt. All non-recourse uh, typically is going to be long-term debt. Um, I would say half half of the portfolio have fixed rate debt, and uh, the other half it's floating. But we typically um, finance around seventy-five percent uh, loan-to-value, and um, where you we're again typically going with. Uh, long-term debt provided by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Uh, for example, their latest loan that we got, 75% loan to value on the Houston property. That was a four years interest only that we got. We got a floating rate um, of, what is it? So, it's, uh, it's so I think two, it's so far. 2.45 altogether. So far plus 2.44. So far yeah. plus 2.44, uh, which is crazy good. Uh, we still, when we, when we have floating rate, um, on the, on the loans, we typically buy a cap on the, on the interest rate so that if interest, um, the environment goes, you know, up, then we are safe, um, under uh, a certain percentage. In this case, it's 5%. We can't go, uh, above 5%. So we're, we're pretty happy with that type of debt. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's all non-recourse, um, we do have some rich loans on some of the, on one of the properties that we're selling right now. Uh, and I think another one as well, but, um, but yeah, typically we like to go with long-term debt, uh, fixed rate and, and, um, some years of interest only that allows us, uh, to provide, you know, a little bit more of a healthier cash flow in the first few years, uh, while we stabilize the property. So and I might add that, uh, we, with the, the, term of the debt is longer than the business plan calls for. You know, it might be a three to five year or three to seven year um, life that uh, we we look for in a business plan and the uh, in the project. And so our debt might be 10 years like this past uh, Houston deal. So what is the uh, what are the metrics that you're using in first determining where you want to invest? Right. There, we read about and we hear about these emerging markets. I've been screaming from the top of the mountain for four or five years now 
the decentralization of real estate's coming and and now we're seeing it so uh, but there's a lot of markets. There's a lot of opportunities, right? What are some of the metrics you're you're looking at when you decide, let's put a pin in the map here. Here's where we want to be. Yeah, well, uh, Stony can get into into more details, but like big picture, it's honestly pretty straightforward. Um, there, we there's a few ingredients that uh, definitely for for uh, multifamily real estate, but I think for all real estate in general, uh, tell you. Uh, what makes a good market and it's just where are people moving to right people and jobs of course you want you want people coming in into the into into this into the market and you want uh quality jobs uh to obviously support them and that and their 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 lifestyle right so um those markets well texas and florida have been i've seen an influx of people crazy well from from new york california and um we like those markets primarily, but we are interested in a few other markets in, in the Southeast that, again, have been have had population growth and job growth. Uh, and we, uh, we also like to see diversified markets, meaning uh, the economies are, um, let's say, no one industry has more than, say, 20 to 25 percent of the of the whole uh, economy. Again, pretty, pretty. Uh, intuitive stuff, right? Like you don't want to be in a market where it's all tech jobs and maybe all the tech companies move to yep. some other city just for whatever reason, right? Or tax reasons or whatever. And now you found yourself in a town where no one's left and no one has good jobs. So obviously no one can buy or rent your product. Um, so again, that that's pretty straightforward stuff. Then we, we look at some other stuff as well. Like Sonia, I don't know if you have some other stuff in mind that you want to share. Well, I think uh, that uh, that's the basic uh, demographics that uh, we like to see. And we also like to see, you know, a good tax climate, a business tax climate and uh, landlord friendly laws, um, not necessarily, you know, against tenants, of course, but because we like to um, make sure that our communities are welcoming to tenants and we try to like do a few extra things there. But uh, we certainly um, don't want to get caught up somewhere where um, we have very strong restrictions on on the uh, law, on the laws for landlords, and so we stay out of those places. So it generally takes us in the southeast, and we prefer not to go out west. There's you know places like Tucson and Phoenix, Scottsdale, and things that people like. Even Boise and Salt Lake City are popular these days, uh, and in Colorado, but that's a little further away. We like to be able to get to our properties to, to be on site, to have some surprise visits, and also to have some scheduled visits to. Uh, see the property and make sure, especially early in the days of the ownership where we're executing a business plan that is typically uh, trying to improve the property, which is one of the real benefits of having multifamily uh, by having a, a, a controllable asset there that you can add to the value of it. So, you know, uh, Stoney, the, <clears throat> the number one reason that I was citing the decentralization of real estate out of all the major cities again, years ago, was the, the traditional metrics we used to look at when, when evaluating the deal were primarily centered around just the business terms of the deal, right? There were some outside factors about job growth, and, but when you're in the major cities, that's, that was for a long time fairly consistent and fairly consistent growth, right? So right. Um, what I started to see was uh, the legislative threats 
there was something that nobody was talking about. And, and, you know, our investors, we started telling them, get out of multifamilies. The, 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 the legislation is changing very quickly. Um, the way that you can invest and take deductions in New York has changed significantly. Um, mm -hmm. Just today, I got word that up in Albany, um, I believe it's called the good cause uh, legislation in Albany, they passed legislation today that in that city, it's a city ordinance for now, but um, I'm hearing that other cities in New York are already looking to adopt it. Um, essentially, if a tenant's lease is up, you no longer can remove them from the apartment. They have rights to the apartment after the lease, mm -hmm. and they're capping what you can raise them. So, yes. and yep. we're not talking about 50 unit buildings, we're talking about four families and up. Yeah. And, and wow. while tenant protections is something that I think any decent human has got at, at the top of mind. And, you know, mm -hmm. we all want to be responsible and, and we all want to make sure that we're providing a nice place for people to live. Uh, at some point, the legislative threats start to cut against uh, the investors so much that it's just tough to pencil these things out anymore. I think that's in large part why you see Divco West and Blackstone buying, you know, a billion, two billion, three billion dollars in single family residences now right. because they're trying to Absolutely. get away from those legislative threats. So I, I applaud you guys for for getting ahead of the curve there and 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 recognizing that these were I wish we could have talked a few years ago because nobody was listening to me back then. But um, you know, it, it those are, are real challenges. So, you know, as you're as you're picking these properties, um, can we talk a little bit about what you're looking for, cash on cash returns or, or you know, the overall cap rate? What are some of the metrics that are important to Pasivo as you guys, you know, kind of refine your investment strategy? Sure. So um, really at the core of what we do, we have uh, capital preservation, right? So everything we do, the, the, the way we structure the deals, the markets that we invest in, the type of deals that we invest in. Um, the asset class, everything uh, comes with um, capital preservation in mind. Uh, basically, well, I always tell the story, but it's like my mom once told me, hey, listen, okay, you do your thing, but for, like, just don't lose my money, right? Then, then you can talk about how are you going to grow it, how are you, you going to manage it, all, all that good stuff. Uh, I don't care, but just don't lose my money. I'm not, I'm not working any, any longer. So with that, uh, Sony basically you know, shared that vision with me. Okay, how, how can we... First of all, don't lose money, uh, our family's money. And then how do we, of course, have it work for us? And, and how do we grow it and try to you know, build a legacy for, for future generations? Um, so with that in mind, we, the type of deals that we look for before we get into the actual numbers of me or metrics that we uh, wanna see, um, we wanna see a deal that it's a stable property, cash flowing property. We typically are investing in workforce housing um we like to call it some sometimes we like we call it gray color which is well not blue not white just somewhere in the middle and um work so yeah again workforce housing class b properties based uh, typically uh built in the 80s or 90s uh, on average we have 2000 uh plus properties and we have 70s properties as well but um typically on that range and um, we want a business because ultimately we're buying a business uh, that is uh, cash flowing from day one, but that might be underperforming or at least has the potential for some value to be added. Okay. Um, with that uh, in mind as well, then we want to have the right financing 
on the debt side. And we want to make sure. So there's three stool, three legs to the stool of the, of capital preservation, the way we see it. First of all, cash flow. Cash flow is king, right? While the while the property is cash flowing or the business is cash flowing, you don't really care what happens to the value of it uh, as long as you're holding it because it's 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 producing income for you. Then the value of the property only matters when you're gonna sell or refinance it, right? Well, if you have the right debt in place, meaning you have long-term debt, longer than, like Sony mentioned, longer than what your business plan is, then that allows you to co come in and don't put yourself in a position where you are forced to sell or refi, right? If you have a three-year loan and you have a three-year business plan, everything needs to go perfectly and right. You need to execute perfectly. Nothing, nothing can go wrong because on year three, you might find yourself in a scenario where, well, maybe you didn't add enough value. You can't really refi because uh, whatever the environment at that point doesn't make sense. You know, people are not lending and the property has maybe lost some value even. Well, then you're done. You're doomed. You, you lost money, right? You lost the property basically. Uh, and then the third, the third um, leg of the stool is even at, at the expense of some, um, that the returns suffering a little bit, we like to go in with more equity than typically necessary, not only in reserves, but if we want to implement and add value to a property, we want to have the equity from day one to be able to do it and not have to do it out of cash flow. Because again, you don't want to put yourself in a position where maybe COVID hits, vacancy uh, increases, cash flow suffers, then you don't really have the, the, the money to add the value because, well, the cash flow, it's not there. If you can't add the value, you can't, and you can't implement the business plan, you can't add value. If you can't add value, you can refi, then you're done as well. So that's, that's the way we, we think about the type of deals that we want to do. Cash flowing, the right debt, and uh, we want to go in with enough reserves and, and, and money to implement uh, our plan. In terms of numbers, we, wanna, uh, we always look at it from, uh, from the investor's perspective. We want to be able to offer our investors somewhere uh, between six to eight percent uh on on a on a cash on cash return uh on average you'd say per year we're typically above that so far but uh we are kind of adjusting expectations for for everyone at this point uh it's a little bit tighter right now and um so six to eight percent uh but overall we're trying we're aiming at at least 15 percent irr for the investors we're typically holding these deals for five years uh, well, honestly, right now uh, uh, we're averaging closer to four, but our pro forma on all the, on all the deals it's typically five years. Um, so yeah, that's that's what we want to see. Uh, Sony, some some you want to share some other metrics that you, that you like to see? Yeah, one of, one of them I like in particular is the break even occupancy. We want to make sure that uh, when when a property do, it does suffer, if it does suffer that uh, it's still profitable. That's all part of that, one of those legs on that three-legged stool that Lyndon was talking about. And the break-even occupancy for most of our deals that we look at is around 70%. Now, when we buy a property, it's stabilized property, which by definition is 90% or higher occupancy. Mm -hmm. And so when, and also when we start to execute a business plan early in the first first year, maybe uh, for the first 18 months or even 24 months of the uh, property, we're going to be, might be turning over some of the, um, the units and renovating them. So we have a little bit more higher occupancy or uh, vacancy at that point in time, but we still like to stay above 90% at that point in time, but we like to have a real good 
big uh, 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 margin of, of error there for the uh, occupancy and the break-even occupancy especially. But that's one I really like. And uh, that I think is one of the key ones that I, I certainly look for. So yeah. uh, just from a, a transactional perspective, right? Let's say I have a deal and um, let's say it's worth using standard metrics, uh, conservative, a seven cap, you know, at least up here, a seven cap is very conservative, yeah. right? And at a seven cap, uh, she's worth $10 million and their uh, stabilized value is 14, 15 million. Uh, there's some vacancies for a number of different reasons. There's uh, uh, some CapEx that has to go into the deal, but it's really a, a, re, um, a restructuring of just how the, the asset was handled candidly. Um, I come to you guys and I say, hey, I've got this deal. It's worth 10, stabilized. It's worth easily 14, 15 million. Um, I need 24 to 36 months to stabilize. I want to do a deal with you guys. How does how does that work? I mean, uh, you guys are raising the capital on your side. Are you now going to come and invest alongside with me, and I'm going to be the operating partner? And 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 what what do my contributions have to be at that point? If you're talking about seventy percent LTV, we need three million dollars in cash, right? So out of the three million dollars, it's cash flowing today with debt service. Um, you know, the debt service ratios are are pretty high, way outside the norms. Um, and I want to do this deal with you. How much money do I need to put into this deal in order to make it happen? Um, well, actually, money out of, out, of, out of pocket money, not not necessarily. I mean, we don't you don't necessarily have to bring money like you can you can identify the deal. Maybe you have the opportunity. Um, I mean, if you have it under contract already, then you probably have some money out of pocket, you know, and, and, and earnest money that you might have have to put like or risk capital that we like that how we call it um but other than that it's more about who, who are you and who's your who's who's your team because if you are going to be operating and implementing the business plan or at least calling the shots on the day-to-day -day, um operations we want to see uh, a track record we sure. want to be doing business with with someone that again doesn't matter if you don't have the liquidity to invest in that particular deal. Maybe that's why you came to us. We can bring um, we can bring the three million dollars from our investors. Uh, we'll bring all, all the equity, and we really want to see uh, that you are capable of, you know, uh, running the operations. That, honestly, because that's the part that we want uh, our operating partners to to do. Right. So that we can focus on raising more capital and finding more deals. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that would be, that would be something that, that, that we would do honestly, um, for us, the main thing is the relationship with the, the operating partner and the sponsor. We, all the deals that we've done have been with operators that we've longed for, uh, typically more than a year, at least we've had a relationship We've um, we've been following their, 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 their journey and on all the other deals. And ultimately we trust that again, that your team and you are capable of doing that. We are, we get a lot of uh, offers or, or people calling us, Hey, I have this deal. We can, you know, we can partner up we I can bring my investors, you bring yours and we can run the, the operations together and, and you know, whatever different structures that they offer us. And we don't really, we don't really do it because we just don't know, like, we don't know who these people are. 
you sure. know, uh, so it's not just the money. Sure. So you guys are looking to be true passive. So let's assume we've got a rock star team in place, right? Um, me, for example, I've got a track record, 20, 25 years. Um, I alone have been involved in over a billion dollars in transactional real mm-hmm. estate, right? We've got a, a full team. Are we able to keep 50% of the deal, 20% of the deal? Is it a 50-50 relationship? I'm, I'm trying to speak to some of the folks out yes. there because deal pipeline, uh, some of us have great pipelines and we're looking for folks like you to, to, to bridge the gap. Yeah, so depending, depending on, how, on, 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 on who the operator is going to be, uh, we, are, we, we, we could say that somewhere around, like let's say, for example, if we co-sponsor a deal, uh, you run the operations, we take care of, uh, of, the, of the investors and, and all the other stuff or whatever other we, we value we're going to bring. Yeah, 50-50 would make sense. We bring all the capital from our investors. You bring the deal, you run it. Uh, and, and of course, we, we have different responsibilities, but mainly big picture wise, that would be um, somewhere around that 40. I mean, if you're a super experienced operator, you're a rock star team uh, that we really want to work with you, then we might say, well, we bring all the capital instead of 50%, we'll, we'll take 40 or 35 well it depends on the deal again right but sure. um but sure. something like that with some something like that's what what makes sense for us yeah and now do you guys want to be uh at that point so uh, let's say I, I had told you it's 24 to 36 months to stabilize we go ahead and we hit our marks we stabilize um year five rolls around is there a a point at the end of the fund where you guys want to be cashed out and, and you want to refi cash out or you want to sell the property or if it's performing do we want to stay in this thing uh, at the end of the day there has to be a, an end date right for your investors yeah. to recoup mm-hmm. their initial capital so what does that look like yeah so five we found that for the type of deals that we do and the type of business plans that we that we have for these deals uh, five years allows us for uh, maximum IRR. Okay, so after year five, so we typically add uh, or implement the plan and or add all the value that we can add in the maybe, yeah, 30, 12, 18 months to 24 months, maybe a little bit more sometimes, depending on how big the property is. But um, yeah, roughly two, two and a half years, we've added all the value we're going to add. So then we hold it for another two and a half years to obviously take advantage of the um, with the cash flow uh, at that point, it's obviously better. And uh, by year five or after year five, we've, we see that the IRR, I mean, it's still a you know, good performing deal, solid cash flow, which is important for some people, but we, want, uh, we also want to maximize IRR. Uh, we found that at year five, it's when that happens, uh, close to that mark. Yep. Uh, yep. And then, of course, not only that, but as general partners in the deal, Yes, we have. We 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 told our investors that we we're going to get out by a certain date, roughly. Obviously, not it's not fixed, but roughly five years. So they're expecting that. But us as general partners, we make the bulk of our money when we sell or refi a property. Typically, when we sell the property. So we are we're also looking to to sell the property eventually, not necessarily hold it long, long, long term. Got it. So um, when we hit that four or five year mark deals optimized, we're enjoying the upside, then it's time to either refi cash out, make everyone whole and, and just kind of see where things take us or let's go ahead and sell it and, and recapture that capital and then go do another one. Yes. I love mm. it. I love it. So exactly. 
how how do uh, how do folks submit deals or or submit I guess not submit deals right you've got to build the relationship first so what's the best way for people to find you to make these connections and to start I want to do it being quite candid I, I want to get to know you guys more um, you know we've got access to a constant pipeline being that we're on the commercial side and and we've got right. a full service brokerage so um, you know for that next step we're always looking for partners like this. How do you grow the relationship? Where do people go to, to make an introduction? How does this kind of go from an initial chat like this to an investment opportunity downstream? Sure, well, uh, certainly our, our website is available for people to take a look at and to see what some of our backgrounds are, some of our portfolio is, and that's at placeborei.com. Uh, that's placebo is spelled with two S's. And uh, we have an ebook on, on site there that uh, explains basically our, our investment criteria, our, our strategy, what we think is important in investing. And that book, that ebook is called uh, The Four Investing Rules for the New American Dream. And uh, you can go to the website, um, and that's actually slash dream. So it's placeborei.com slash dream, where you can find it and download it. It's a free book for anybody. And we try to also educate our investors, try to we want to make sure that they are um, financially literate and they're making smart decisions for themselves. Uh, and that just makes helps make uh, smarter investors for us and helps uh, us have better relationships with them to make sure that uh, we are helping them in, in a variety of other ways. We don't need to get into that now, but um, we want to, uh, we think that that's the, the best way. And you can also um, schedule a call with us. We have our, uh, uh, invest with us buttons on our website where you can uh, anybody can register in there and schedule a call uh, as well as take a look at inside our investor portal and take a look at the deals that we've done in the past in a little more detail and also see if we have anything uh, particular to offer at that particular time. So uh, folks, I went ahead and downloaded the ebook. Uh, I loved it. It's, it's pretty straightforward, but it, co it covers everything from investment goals to tax strategy and depreciation, you know, how you can really optimize your investment. Uh, I, I love what you guys are doing. I think that there's a big void in the market for this as the big banks are, are dumping, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars into the overnight because they're afraid to lend. Uh, this, this provides a nice opportunity to help bridge the gap to get to that 75%. Um, I wish you guys all the success in the world, Stoney and Lennon. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, really, best of luck. This is this is a great platform and, and nothing but success for you in the future. Thank you, man. Thank you for having us. Thank it you. Same so to fun. you. Yeah, appreciate it. Enjoyed uh, it. Absolutely. Everyone out there, please stay safe.